Well, this morning I'm very glad to have Frank Root joining us. Uh, Frank, you've been a blessing to us for like 16 or 17 months now on a regular basis, taking the time to trek up here, and we are truly grateful for your love for this body. So welcome this morning. It's good to be back. Am I doing Second Thessalonians 1 or 1 Thessalonians 2? Oh, good. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> well, it is a, it's a little shorter than my usual message. I, I worked through it, and it, that's just sort of the way it came out. So maybe you get out early today. But I have a question for you. Does anyone think that we're living in the same world as we were the last time that I was in this pulpit? To be sure, you can't turn on the news today whether it be on the TV or the radio or most people on the internet. You can't turn the news on without hearing of a tragedy, either from a virus we can't see or from people around us that we can see. Every day, if it's not the virus in, its news, in the news, it's the story of man's inhumanity to man. It seems we constantly hear of somebody being brutally treated they might be wrongfully treated by strangers or by their neighbors or even by the authorities. goes on around the world and in our own backyard. People are suffering and dying, often just for political reasons and sometimes for no reason at all. No matter where you stand on the various issues of the day, there's enough wrong in society to make your blood boil. You think that surely... These are the worst days, or worse days than ever before. But take a look at history, and you'll see that oppression and brutality, especially in the political arena, have always been with us. And it was the same in the days of the early church. And this morning, we will look at that, and we'll look at the response of the Apostle Paul. So our text this morning is the second chapter of 1 Thessalonians. And we're going to look at the whole chapter but for now, I'm going to read verses 1 through 9, and then come back and read the balance of the text in sections as we get to it. I'm reading this morning from the New American Standard Version. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amidst much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men but God, who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even those apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. But we prove to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you 
the gospel of God. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray that you would speak to us this morning. Grant us your mercy that we might ever grow in our knowledge of you through your word, that we may be not only hearers, but doers also. May each one here, including the one who speaks, be encouraged from your word this morning. Amen. So in our text this morning, Paul is writing to a church that he had previously planted. And as he writes, he reminds them of the circumstance of his first visit. He makes reference to being mistreated in Philippi before coming to Thessalonica. Now you might remember that story from Acts 16. Paul is prohibited by the Spirit from going into Asia where he had planned. And then he has this vision to go to Macedonia. And he does, arriving in Philippi and then eventually coming on to Thessalonica. While he was in Philippi, Paul is preaching the gospel regularly. And as he goes about his mission, he encounters this slave girl. Slave girl who made her masters a lot of money by practicing divination. And she did this through the power of an evil spirit in her. Paul cast out that spirit, and the masters of the slave girl realize that their meal ticket has lost its value. They file a complaint with the authorities. Paul and Silas are beaten with rods and thrown into prison and secured in stocks. Now, in spite of that mistreatment, in spite of the pain, Paul and Silas are witnessing in prison. And they witness by praying and by singing hymns. And the other prisoners, prisoners are hearing the gospel. Then an earthquake occurs. And the prison and the stocks are damaged. And they have the opportunity to, to escape had they chosen to take it. But Paul and Silas chose not to escape. Instead, they carry out their mandate to preach the gospel. And Paul's witness is effective. And the jailer himself hears the gospel, comes to know the Lord, and is saved. So then Paul comes to Thessalonica, and he's again persecuted. He shares the gospel in spite of what he terms much opposition. But in spite of much opposition, he succeeds in planting the church to whom this letter is written. In today's text, Paul makes it clear that he is called to preach, that he was entrusted with the gospel not to please men, but to please God. So in our text this morning, he's telling the Thessalonians that he's there under God's authority and sharing the gospel because he is called to do so. Paul is an example to us. How often do we have the chance, just in our daily lives, how often do we have the chance to share the good news of Christ and for whatever reason fail to do so? And Paul had reason. and He'd just been beaten with rods. Surely God doesn't expect him to continue to preach under such a threat. But this has become a way of life for Paul. In 2 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 24, Paul gives a bit of a rundown of his suffering for the gospel. We read, five times I received from the Jews the 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. Paul has suffered mightily for the Lord. He lives in constant danger, yet apparently without showing any fear. The danger does not slow him down. It does not deter him from his mission. 
It doesn't hinder the gospel from going forth. Paul's a man on a mission, and nothing will get in the way. We also learn from the text, Paul is not a flashy preacher. He says he comes without flattering speech. He's not a great speaker. He's just sort of ordinary. And that's typical of God. He, God often works through ordinary means and ordinary people because the power is in the message and not in the messenger. We also learn that Paul is not in it for the money. He supports himself. He's not a burden to the flock for support, even though he has a right to do so if he wants. But it's typical of Paul. We learn elsewhere that Paul is a tent maker, and he supports himself on his journeys by working, not by passing the plate. And even today, pastors and missionaries who support themselves with outside employment are called tent makers. So Paul, this ordinary, sort of frugal man, this, this guy who's not a flashy preacher and who brings no flattering speech is reminding the Thessalonians that when he was here in Thessalonica and when he was preaching the gospel to them, he did so gently and lovingly, and he let God do the work through that. It's not the one who speaks who counts, but it is God speaking through ordinary people that is effective. Paul just isn't this fire and brimstone type of preacher. Instead, he brings a message of the love of Christ. And as he loves the people to whom he is called to witness and does it faithfully, he does that in spite of persecution and God works through it. But how would we do in that situation? If you had been beaten in Philippi, would you even go to Thessalonica? And if you did, would you be willing to proclaim the gospel knowing that you might get beaten again? Would you have the courage to preach the gospel in the face of persecution? I, I don't know that I could. Maybe. Maybe not. I'd like to think so, but I know I don't want to find out. How about you? Could you give witness to the resurrection with the knowledge that you might suffer the 40 lashes less one? There's significance in the 39 lashes. 40 was considered the equivalent of a death sentence. Most people wouldn't survive. Well, if 40 lashes was a death sentence... Is 39 all that much better? One less wouldn't be much different, would it? With the 39 lashes, the prisoner was literally beaten to within an inch of his life. And Paul has suffered that on five separate occasions. And still, he goes forth to preach the gospel. Now, the lash would be terrible. I mean, it would shred your flesh. But the rods, not much better. A rod could break your bones. Yet prior to coming to Thessalonica, Paul had been beaten with rods. He probably had not even fully recovered, yet he continues to preach. Jesus promises his, that his followers will be persecuted. John 15, 20, we read that if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So if, or rather when we are persecuted, how should we take it? How should we respond? Well, we might fight, fight back, right? After all, we're Americans. We're not used to taking a whole lot of crap from anybody. That would be my first reaction. I would probably be angry and I would likely 
lash out. Or if I'd been beaten, maybe I would just hide. My fear might overwhelm me and I might try to avoid being seen in public. And if I did, nobody would think any worse of me for that. Not after what Paul had been through. No one would have thought worse of him for it. Or maybe I'd say, hey, I've done my job. I shared the gospel and it was rejected. I'm out of here. These people are toast. They can burn in hell for all I care. But that attitude would be wrong as well. In Matthew 5, verses 11 and 12, Jesus tells us, Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And in Romans 12, 14, we read, Blessed, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. That's what Paul does. He blessed the jailer. He didn't curse him. The jailer comes to faith. Paul soldiers on, staying on task in spite of everything that happens to him. And eventually, it will claim his life. But he never gives up. He never stops witnessing. He never stops proclaiming Christ to anyone who will listen. We see that as we continue our text this morning. Picking up in verse 10, we read this. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul reminds the Thessalonians of his behavior among them. And it's an example for us to act devoutly, uprightly, blamelessly towards other believers. And I might add to everyone else as well. And then Paul writes what I think is the key verses in this chapter. He writes that he exhorts and encourages and implores each one as a father would his children so that each may walk in a worthy manner. Think about that for a moment. The text says that the apostles were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. What does implore mean? My phone tells me it means to strongly urge a certain action or behavior. Actually, let me back up. What does exhort mean? Again, my phone says that means to urge a certain action or behavior. In this case, Paul is exhorting each of the Thessalonians to a certain behavior, and that behavior is to walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. If exhort means to strongly urge, and encourage means much the same, what about implore? What does that mean? Much the same as exhort, but at a much more intense level. Again, my phone says it means to plead or beg with someone to get to a certain action or behavior. So Paul is saying to, that he strongly urges and encourages and begs that the reader will walk in a manner worthy, a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. I would suggest to you that this is the predominant purpose of the apostles' ministry, to share the gospel, bring people to faith, and then to exhort, encourage, 
and implore. That's Paul's calling. He shares the good news of Christ, the Spirit converts, and then he encourages, exhorts, and implores the followers of Christ to walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls us into his kingdom and his glory. But I would also maintain that it's not just the apostles that should be doing all this exhorting and encouraging and imploring. It is, is it not also the responsibility of church leaders? I would suggest it is not just church leaders. It's not just the pastor or the elder. It's not just a pulpit ministry. Should not all believers exhort, encourage, and implore each other? And the reason is for all of us, as the text tells us, is so that we can walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls us into his own kingdom and glory. This is the greatest gift ever given, to be called by God into his kingdom and glory. And to be sure, God calls us, not the other way around. It's not that we call on God to be saved. He calls us into his kingdom and into his glory. All that we do is respond. We do that by walking in a manner worthy of his kingdom, worthy of his glory. Let me ask you, who gets the glory when Paul goes to Thessalonica after being beaten in Philippi? God does. But God calls Paul into that glory, and Paul knows that his reward will be to live with Christ in glory. In Philippians 1, verse 21, we read, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. So Paul boldly preaches the gospel, knowing that the worst that his oppressors can do, at least from a worldly perspective, is to take his life. And yet that holds no fear for Paul. For he knows that to die is gain because he will go to be with Christ. So he encourages the Thessalonians and he encourages us to do as he does, to walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. But Paul's not finished with this lesson. Picking up our text at verse 13, we read this. And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive from us the word of God's message. You accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the utmost. There are several places in God's Word where we see that God's Word is inspired by God Himself, that although God uses the apostles as His writers, and their personality is not left out of that, Nevertheless, it is God speaking through men 
and not just men speaking about God. And Paul confirms that here. He confirms that he is preaching not the words of men, but it's God's word that he's bringing to them. And that God, not Paul, is the one from whom the gospel goes out. Paul further confirms that God's word is effective, that it performs a work in believers. And that is still true today. We're called to spend time in God's word. It's the mark of a Christian to be in God's word, to read it, to study it, to learn from it, so that his word can perform a work in us. You know, the Thessalonians had Paul in the flesh for a season, and then they sort of had him again in these letters that he writes. We don't have Paul or any of the apostles in the flesh, but we do have them present in the letters that they wrote. We have the inspired teaching of God through God's anointed apostles. Paul's teaching comes to us today as fresh and as new and as vital as the day when he spoke to the Thessalonians and the day when he wrote these words down in a letter to them. There's also a warning against those that hinder the gospel message. And Paul proclaims that wrath has come upon them. But think about this. Wrath can be stayed. There was no one more hostile to the gospel than Paul himself. That is, until he came face to face with Christ on the road to Damascus. And now this former zealot against the church is now a zealot for the church. Paul knows what he is warning against. Paul understands what he is warning against. That brings us to the final portion of today's passage, picking up the text in verse 17. But we, brethren, having been bereft of you for a short while, in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face, for we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan thwarted us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exultation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. In this final section of this chapter, Paul, as he often does, is he expresses a desire to be with his flock in person, not just in spirit. Is there a more timely way to wrap up this message? The last four months, we've learned a bit about being apart in the flesh. We missed the togetherness of the body of Christ. And even though we have FaceTime and Skype and Zoom and whatever we're using here today and all that kind of technological stuff, we were told that for a while, for our safety, we had to stay apart. And for a time, we even had to give up meeting together. And now we can meet, but we're told we must maintain social distancing. I don't know about you, but I don't like that term very much. There's nothing social in social distancing. I sort of call it anti-social distancing. It seems anti-social to me. But as Christians, we want to be together. We want to sing without a mask. We want to hug our brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe there's a lesson for us in the issue of the day. We are apart from each other too much. We are apart from each other, sort of like Paul was from the Thessalonians when he penned this letter. 
But just as we could connect with each other through all our modern technology, we can also connect with Christ through his word. We can still connect with each other and we must because we have to in order to be exhorting and encouraging and imploring each other to walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls us, who calls you and me into his kingdom and into his glory. That's what Paul does and we should do likewise. We live in an unusual time. Normal is changing every day. But some things do not change. Christ is eternal, and he calls us into his kingdom and glory, and that doesn't change. In spite of the limits on our togetherness, in spite of our anti-social distancing, we are still one in Christ. And remember that Christ is Lord over all, and that this will pass. And while the world around us may seem out of control, there's looting and rioting going on, depending on who you listen to, peaceful protests. But while those may go on, remember that Christ is still Lord over all, and this too will pass. Christ is eternal, his word is eternal, and his word promises that he will return in triumph, and he will. Christ is yesterday, today, and tomorrow, calling us into his kingdom and his glory. So I ask if you're ready. Are you ready for his return? Have you trusted Christ for your salvation and not trusted your own righteousness or your own works? That's what it means to walk in a worthy manner. We walk humbly, giving God the glory, for it is he that calls us into his kingdom and his glory. Today's tribulations, they're there for sure. They're real. But for those who are resting in Christ's arms, nothing can overcome. Nothing can overcome our peace and our knowledge of our security in Christ. Paul had the courage to preach the gospel in spite of all that happened to him. We need to be ready for Christ's return, knowing who we are in Christ. We need to be ready in spite of all that might happen to us to spread the good news of Christ. We need to exhort encourage and implore each other constantly to walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you and me and all believers into his kingdom and into his glory, knowing that as surely as the sun come, came up this morning, that Christ is in control and that Christ will return. And then we will fully share in his kingdom and in his glory. Let me pray for us. Father, we praise you for your mercy, for giving us your word that we might come to a deeper knowledge of you. By your spirit, we pray that you would help each of us to walk in a manner worthy. We pray for our country this morning, that you might draw us all close to each other and to thee, and that you might begin a healing work in our land. But mostly we praise you for sending Jesus and for the salvation that he has provided for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.